We don't aim to solve all the world's problems, but we do offer you peace of mind, hope, laughter, and ideas on how you can help improve circumstances and communities. Good change is for you. For us, we take to heart your concerns about anger, injustice, and helplessness, the pain that we each feel, and give you something better to witness, something better to believe in. In many ways, this podcast is the opposite of self-help. It's us help. We draw attention to kindness, to the better angels of our nature. We swap stories that bring smiles, deep breaths, inspiration, and ideas to help us evolve. We introduce you to people who are positively transforming lives, leaders of movements, or everyday heroes who are making change. Good change. Good Change highlights the common ground we share, the unlimited positive impact of a single person, and the greater good. Welcome to Good Change, a podcast about making a world of difference. Please welcome your host and Good Change maker, Ken Streeter. Hi, everybody. This is Ken Streeter with the Good Change podcast. Welcome to today's show. Super, super excited and honored to have Michelle Mitchell, the co-founder of Hum Kombucha, with us today. Just to give you a 10-second overview, Hum Kombucha is reshaping the beverage industry by providing healthy drinks to people across the world. Uh, I, at first, I considered using the line, Hum Kombucha is taking the beverage industry by storm, but then I remembered Michelle's character, the DNA of her company, and recognize that a better term is hum kombucha is taking the world by beautiful, gentle trade wind. And I want to welcome Michelle to the show and uh, say, how are you doing? Hi, thank you. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun to be here. And I really love the way you described that. That's very sweet. It's very apropos given who you are and what you're doing. Um, we're going to talk today about the business culture that I just alluded to. We'll talk a little bit about the inception of HUM, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions about how your work makes the world better, and also get some, hopefully, pearls of wisdom from you on uh, how our listeners and viewers can take action in order to make their community or circumstances better. So again, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about how HUM Kombucha came about and where you're at today. Yeah, well, we um, we started in 2008, right on the tails of the market crash. So it was an interesting time for business and for, you know, people. Uh, we had just moved to Bend, Oregon, and uh, my business partner had moved from Pennsylvania. And I had been traveling around the world with my partner, uh, and we landed here. And as many good stories do, it all started on the tennis courts. And Jamie and I uh, met each other and just hit it off instantly, had so much fun. Uh, her business had tanked with the market and I, like I said, had been traveling. So neither one of us were really, um, well, we weren't busy doing any other business. <laughs> so we wanted to start something. And uh, we, you know, we kind of toyed around with the idea of doing hydroponics. She was growing lettuce in her bathtub at the time. And we live in a desert. And, you know, we, we both really believe in taking care of our community and taking care of our own bodies and health. And I had been making kombucha for maybe about a decade before. And I had learned from my um, then husband's mom. So I still call her my mother-in-law. We're still very close. And uh, she had been making it since the early 80s. And hers was um, 
it was awesome. <laughs> it was really medicinal, really tricky to get down. But man, she swore by it. She said this was this amazing drink. And she was one of the healthiest people that I had known, certainly for her age group. And I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. So I started making it and I love to play. I love to create whatever it is, whether I'm creating, um, you know, on a canvas or at the piano or dancing with my, you know, 11 and eight year old and which is so much fun. And so I just started playing and wanting to make this tea taste great because I figured, well, you know, nobody's going to drink it if it, if it's hard to get down. So how do we make it so that it's awesome so that more people drink it and more people can feel better. And at that time was kombucha known to not taste well, not taste good. It was, yeah, it was a little tough. There was only a few brands on the market, like GT's, for example, was one of the first brands on the market. Um, Even though it's a 2,500-year-old drink, um, there weren't very many people in the Western market. Uh, So yes, it was definitely very medicinal and um, sold mostly just at uh, health food stores. So our vision when we started this company was to make it accessible for as many people as possible. We just really believed that you didn't have to you didn't have to shop at Whole Foods and wear a size two yoga pants and you know own throughout your day in order to enjoy this and to just feel better. So we started selling it at like ethnic grocery stores and gas stations. And we actually, originally the way it got going is that we sent an email to all like eight people that we knew in Bend because we had just moved here. And we said, we have this amazing drink. It's awesome. You're gonna love it if you wanna feel good, you know. Um, let us know. And so we would have these gallon glass jars, like the milkman, you know, the jugs with the handle. And we would deliver full gallon glass jars to people's doorstep. And they put 20 bucks under the mat and an empty gallon glass jar. We would take the empty one back to the Prius and take the 20 bucks and put them on a list for next week. And that was, that was it. That's how we started. So yeah. Literally out of your kitchen. Yes. growler jugs for lack of a better term yeah delivering them to people's doorsteps they put 20 bucks out you brought them a fresh bottle you took the empty and then re- returned every week or so with a yeah, yeah every week or two mm-hmm. and i find it interesting that your business partner and you met on the tennis court because when you think about it when you're first starting a match in tennis the score is love love and oh nice it, yeah did you feel it? We totally felt the love. It looked a little different because <laughs> she, one of the funny things about um, the way we met and how we instantly just fell in love was that this was a beginner tennis class. Nobody really knew what they were doing, kind of like lobbing the ball over the net. And she got across the net for me and just started railing the ball at me. And I thought, okay. I can play with this one. We're going to do great. And we, we laughed ourselves silly. We had so much fun. We are, we're terrible tennis players. We only took that one class. We still can't do it, uh-huh. but man, we have fun. <laughs> so then what happened? We, we know that you now can find your brand hum kombucha and something way different than health food stores and yoga centers. Uh, yeah. What, what happened over the last few years? Yeah, so we, um, you know, we moved from my kitchen to a little bigger facility, went to farmer's market, started making different flavors and so on. And we were actually named Kombucha Mama at the time. We weren't hum. 
uh, we were kombucha mama for five years, our first five years in business. And that name, which I, I think is important, it really came from, um, you know, the essence of it was, was taking care, you know, as a mother, we were a mama, kombucha mama, we were taking care of our community. And our community kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It was just Bend. It was then the, you know, Eugene and more of Oregon than the Pacific Northwest. And then the crux of why change our name came when we saw it expanding. We saw that people really liked it. You know, they were feeling better. They kept coming back. And and we knew, I'm from Iowa, so I can say this. I know that, you know, to have a, have a bottle of kombucha with, you know, that says kombucha mama, and it has this lotus flower on it. Like that's not going to fly. I mean, most people are not going to buy it. You know, So we wanted something that was more accessible, um, just easy, fun. You know, you hum when you're happy, you're humming along. And we also wanted it to express more the, um, the energy of our company rather than just the product and what was in the bottle. So we rebranded to Hum and, and after we did that, that's really when it started taking off. So our first um, you know, major national retailer was Target and they really took us under their wing and kind of you know, helped uh, work out what it's like to be you know, a supplier of a national retailer. And um, we partnered with the Seattle Seahawks for three seasons, that was huge for us. We, definitely did not have the money or the <laughs> or the knowledge of how to do that and how it would look but we but we did it and that partnership then led us to Walmart and Costco and you know we have a we actually have a um a, a company in Sweden now they so it's distributed in Europe and um you know other countries so we I you know part of it is know part of its luck and part of it's just saying yes you know being at the right place at the right time and saying yes and figuring it out along the way that's a great great attitude reaction action whatever you want to call it to just say yes and one of the cornerstones to this show is to give people something tangible that's good that they can sink their teeth in to or believe and, and we often ask guests, what are steps that people can take in order to have more of that in their life where they're either providing good or they're seeing good? Would you say that saying yes to opportunities is a key to that? For sure. And I think the caveat, being a person that has worked through what it's like to learn how to say no as well, I think that... Um, Saying yes to opportunities, absolutely, but taking a minute and really gut checking where that yes is coming from. You know, are you doing it just to please somebody, to make it easier for somebody? Is, it, is, it, is the impetus outside of you or is it really coming from this, you know, a solid gut check on it? And then, yeah, even, and especially when you're scared, like I, I actually really appreciate the gut check and you know, the butterflies and, and sitting for a minute thinking, okay, am I scared because it's not right? Like I should say no to this or am I scared just cause I don't really know how it's gonna go. And 
that's okay. I mean, nobody actually knows how it's going to go for most of your life. I think there's this whole idea that people think they know how it's, you know, I mean, if anything, this pandemic, I think has taught us that we certainly don't know how things are going to go. And, um, and that that's been true all along. So to say yes, even though you're not certain about how it's going to go, as long as it's coming from a good, you know, intuitive space, I think is super important. And, and uh, the driving force behind your saying yes to taking this business to two or three new levels and now international levels was a desire to do good. And, yeah. and tell us about some of the different goods that you sought out uh, to help folks realize. Yeah. Um, you know, from a product standpoint and, you know, what we actually sell, what we, you know, our outward facing mission, you know, our actual, our, our purpose is to help people feel better. That's it. We've gone through so many marketing iterations of what's this purpose and include this and this. And at the end of the day, it's to help people feel better, help people feel good. And uh, so we just believed that the more people we could help feel good, the better it was. So we just kept saying, yes, you know, more and more people are joining the party. More and more people are um, getting on board with it. And that felt good. And then internally, um, you know, for, for me, the reason that I helped start this company really had less to do about what we were selling. I mean, of course, I love the kombucha. It did come from my kitchen. I love that it helps people feel good. I don't want to discount that. And the impetus was really about creating a space where people could show up at work. And it's pretty awesome. You know, we spend most of our waking hours as adults in our business, in our work. And I saw so many people just not happy and, and energetically drained and then coming home and not having the, the energy to share with their family, with their, you know, with their partner, with their dog, you know, whatever it is. And it, that, that didn't, that doesn't work. Like that didn't make any sense to me. So, so really for me, this core principle of helping people feel good it is based on helping people feel good that are in our company, that are our partners that then help other people feel good and help other people feel it's the butterfly effect on that. Yeah. So, so you're talking the talk obviously, but you're also walking the walk by providing a good product, but also providing an exceptional workplace. Yeah. Give us a couple of examples of, of missions or, activities or rules and regulations that you have at your company that embody your mantra? Well, um, I could talk all day about this. You know, today, for example, it's St. Patty's Day and um, we, we have culture keepers. So one of the things that we do is, so my title, it's co-founder, it's also chief cultural angel because mm -hmm. that sounds fun. And each quarter, we have a group of people, usually four or five people that volunteer their time in the company to, to continue to evolve our, our culture as we grow. And so these culture keepers do things like, um, you know, we do birthday lunches. We don't do birthday lunches right now because we're in the pandemic, but we do birthday newsletters and we have like birthday quizzes for two truths and a lie. It's about connecting 
all of us, even though we're not all in the office. Um, you know, one thing that we do is we have uh, in the break room, we have a, uh, a wall of love notes and love notes started back when we were kombucha mama and Jamie and I didn't have any money to pay people. And we did the best we could. And we would in like envelopes of cash <laughs> for the two weeks that came from the 20 bucks under the mat. And then we, we would write love notes every two weeks on everybody's envelope about what we really appreciated about them for those two weeks. You know, thank you so much for coming in late and cleaning the kegs. We really needed these nine kegs cleaned for, you know, the day after and bottling when we were hand bottling all of them. And and so that evolved. So we'd write love notes for everybody. And then, you know, two people became 10, became 20. It got a little trickier. Direct deposit happened. You know, how do we write love notes? And now it's a, it's a wall where anybody can write a love note to anybody else in the company and, um, and just, just share what they appreciate about them. So that's a big one. I think another thing that we do for each of our meetings that we're in is we take a minute. We'd start our meeting and we take a minute and it's somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds and we close our eyes. Not everybody closes their eyes if they don't feel comfortable. It doesn't matter. You just like take a second to be where you are. Take a breath. because we're constantly moving so fast in our lives and in our company. And so we take that moment and then we check in. How are you doing? And it's always nice to know how your buddies around the table are doing. You know, somebody might be really sad because of something that's happening outside of work. Somebody might be, you know, have had too much coffee that day and they're just crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So to be honest about where we are in our check-ins so that we can have more compassion for how each person is showing up at the table is um, another thing that we do. And then we end the meetings with appreciations, kind of like love notes, but we just say what we appreciate um, about whomever for that particular meeting. So the, the thread that I noticed in what you just said is noticing and it's choosing to notice good. It's taking time to notice how your neighbor, your coworker is feeling, uh, just noticing. And in order to do that, in order to set that tone, you, you have to consciously do it. Am I right? That, that to acknowledge good and to acknowledge how your neighbor's feeling, you, it, it takes a little bit of work. Totally. Oh, I absolutely believe it's a practice. And you know, some days like, like anything, it's just, it's a practice and it's building a muscle. And if you're not, um, you know, if you're just getting going, if you're just now starting to hit the gym and you're just now starting to build that muscle, it can be pretty painful and it takes a little more effort. And, you know, hopefully those efforts over time are like deposits in the bank and you can, you know, you can, you, you can take some withdrawals because you're gonna, you know, you're gonna mess it up. Like I don't see the good every time and I get really frustrated and, you know, I, I go at it with my business partner from time to time, but we've, we've put in so many deposits and that, you know, you can take a little money out here and a little money out there and, um, and it's okay. You just keep so depositing. You don't, you don't throw tennis balls at her when you're mad with her. At her no, but I think that's a good idea. <laughs> 
I like it. I think I'm going to get some tennis balls. That'll be really funny. <laughs> maybe, maybe Nerf tennis balls. Maybe that's a better place to start. So one of the goals of this show is to give people pearls of, of wisdom, action ideas. And you just seem to have nailed one, nailed one, which is it's a practice to, to see the good. Um, and it seems like it's especially, especially important to do that right now because we are bombarded with the opposite. And, and so mm -hmm. what does this practice mean, do you think, to you? And, and what would you recommend to others in terms of how they could shift just a small part of their day? Okay. Well, this is something that I've been doing with my kids ever since they were born. Um, well, I've been doing it and now they do it with me, but it's a practice of gratitude. And it's, and I know that there are a lot of people that talk about this and a lot of podcasts that, you know, have guests on that talk about gratitude. But, you know, I remember reading at one point, um, we were talking about the happiness factor, the joy factor, something like this. And they were saying, you know, different people come into this world, this lifetime, you know, however you want to whatever your belief system is with a, a level of joy, a level of happiness. And some people are just pretty stoked. Like they're just pretty happy people in general. And some people are not, and there's a continuum and everybody lives at different parts of the continuum at different parts of their lives. But the single most influential factor in moving that needle higher on a level of joy, on a level of happiness is a practice of gratitude. So for me, every morning before I wake up, kind of in that like, just kind of waking up, my eyes may be closed, they may be open. I do three things. I do my daily intention. I do my um, intuition prayer. And then I do uh, three gratitudes. And every night before I go to bed, I, do, I don't do the daily intention. Or the, sometimes I do the intuition prayer, but I definitely do three gratitudes. And this is something that, you know, with the kids, we, 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 we just, we practice at the dinner table, we practice after school. And, um, and I think that it has, it, it's a great practice to rely on, especially when things are not going great. So there's, let's say 16 hours in the waking day. For some of us, there's 22. For some of us, there's 12. It just depends. But let's say 16 hours in, in, in the day that you're awake. Some people would say to that, I don't have time to practice gratitude or to set intentions every day. Out of the 16 hours or, or 20 hours that you're awake, how many hours or minutes are, do you think you're, you're spending on these practices? Like three minutes, maybe. It's so small. But the impact of it, I think, is hours, is days, is weeks, is lifetimes long. But the actual time of just considering what I'm grateful for is very, very small. Is it important to say it out loud or write it down in your book or just thinking it is a good step? Um, I do think, I do believe in writing things down. I do believe that that's important. And uh, sometimes I do, I journal from time to time, but not every day. Uh, I tend to, if, okay. And now that I think through this, for me, thinking it, it's in general, that that's going to get it done. However, when I'm in a particularly crappy mood and I'm having a particularly hard time being grateful for anything, yeah. it takes a little longer. It takes a little more effort. And, and those times penning it to paper um, has a bigger impact. Literally shifts your state, shifts your emotional yeah. state. 
Yeah. Because you can't, you can't, you can't think of things that you're grateful for and be in a bad mood. It just, yeah. they just don't live together. What do you think your employees are grateful for? I mean, you nailed a couple of things with the love notes and the, and the, the silence and the grounding at the beginning of the meetings. But what do you think some of the other things that your employees are grateful for that you've either heard or not heard? Oh, um, you know, I don't know. You'd have to ask each one of them, but I, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about my, my work is that I get to do the onboarding for, for everyone, everyone that comes in our company, I get to spend time with them and meet them. And we do this hip program, which is the hamster immersion program. And nice. you know, then everybody's hip at the end and yeah. like, I'm super nerdy. So, you know, I love stuff like this. And anyway, uh, I get to spend an hour each week for three weeks as they're getting onboarded uh, to talk about our core values, to talk about why we do what we do, to talk about, you know, the, the, the old stories that I believe that culture uh, is, um, culture, culture is happening in the stories that we share, you know, whether it's really great stories or really crappy stories, it's what's highlighting the culture within. So to be able to share some of the early stories and then hear from them how our core values are showing up in their respective positions in the company. Um, I, you know, I hear that they're super grateful for that time and they just appreciate uh, taking the time to really consider that. Yeah. So are they taking their shift in emotion, shift in spirit? Yeah. Um, back out into their community and to their homes and with their friends. And are you feeling this ripple effect from this? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, what I hear from them is, uh, and you know, this is a huge generalization. So obviously everybody has their own experience, but that, um, but that, you know, that, that, that they were a product of being in a workplace that felt really crappy and they would come home and, you know, they would kind of barf all over the, whoever is sitting next to them. And now it's not like that. And their husband or wife or kids say, Oh my gosh, you're so much happier. And I have to imagine that that has a significant ripple on their wife or husband or kids or dog, you know, that dogs are happy all the time anyway, but um, that. Except when they have the cones on their head. When they have the I know, except then <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, extrapolating this out to almost the ultimate level, if, if you had an opportunity to advise the president or the leadership of the Democratic and Republican parties and, mm -hmm. and you brought your experiences to them, as you're seeing this shift in your community, courtesy of your changed culture, or a culture that's different than other workplaces. You got a piece of advice for those guys and, and not just guys anymore. Thank goodness. Yeah. Those guys and gals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I think if we just take a minute to stop all of the noise and the chatter and the drama that happens for all of us and genuinely sit with another person and look in their eyes and and ask them how they're doing and truly care and truly take it in that offers a space of 
being able to work through whatever you have to work through from that, you know, whatever conflict is happening, whatever disagreement, whatever, you know, I listened to a thing recently and it was the difference between expectations and agreements. And it was absolutely fantastic. And I think that we in this country, certainly, and in businesses and so on, we go through our days with expectations and we expect this, we expect that, whatever it is. And, you know, the way this um, author was talking about it, he said, you know, if you just live your life out of expectation, then what happens is this, right? So you expect somebody to show up on time and they, and they show up on time. Great. You're pretty neutral about it. You expected it anyway. You're neutral. You know, they don't show up in time and you're mad. So you either get to experience neutrality. That's great. I expected it or being upset. You're kind, of, you're kind of missing the whole awesome part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Whereas if you have an agreement with somebody, each person comes to the table with, hey, let's agree on this together. And, you know, that person shows up on time or they show, that's such a small example, but, but the effort in actually taking time to consider what the other person needs in order to show up to on time for this meeting Maybe they have another meeting that backs up against it and they can't show up on time, whatever it is. You don't know until you ask. And then there's a space of, of genuine understanding and compassion and appreciation. And that is a whole different deal than neutrality and yeah. anger. So uh, I, I feel like I went off on a tangent there, but I guess I just, I, I guess I would just say, take a moment and get outside of the, and it's really not even outside, right? It's inside, drop inside, take the outside chatter mm. away for a minute. Yeah. And that's a practice too, right? And it doesn't take long. It's if you're, if you're awake 16 hours, it's gonna take a couple of minutes yeah. and just, just get rid of that so that you can actually meet people where they are. Yeah. Beautiful advice. Beautiful. Have you, have you uh, had an opportunity to take what you're doing culture wise at work and share that with other industries or with other people in your industry um, in order to help them find ways to make the world better? Yeah, that's a good question. Some, some for sure. You know, we spend, Jamie and I both will, uh, our focus is generally with kids. So we'll have kids um, talk, you know, kids come through the tap room or the brewery and we'll talk with them about entrepreneurship or about facing their fears or about some of the things that we've talked about today. Um, Jamie will, you know, speak on college campuses. I'll speak it with, you know, schools around here. We certainly have, um, you know, some, some sister companies, we call them, that we share best practices and things that go really well. Like I actually... I really, really look forward to the day where how we operate is not outside the norm. You know, it's not like, wow, oh my gosh, you guys have an amazing culture. It's, this is how it, this is how it goes. So I, the question I have related to that, that's a great point. And, and one of the essences of this show is to provide people with some peace of mind and some hope and an ability. You talked about this earlier, having time and taking the time to just take a deep breath. So if you have... Um, people that are working with you who have spouses or friends that are working at places that aren't like your culture mm -hmm. and, and you're trying to illustrate to people that the world doesn't have to work in a harsh or critical way 
what advice would you give to people who don't have a, a quote unquote boss and an angel ambassador like you are? What, what advice would you give to those people so that they could communicate the desire to have a change at their workplace? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. Um, I think I'm a big fan of communication. I always feel like the, the more, the better. I'm not sure if that's always true, but I generally think it is. Uh, and I think that, you know, hopefully, hopefully that person would have a boss that is receptive to, um, you know, to having the conversation and saying, hey, look, there are other companies that are, you know, that are doing it differently and are really successful. I, I do actually think that more and more companies are shifting. And I think that, you know, it's just like Malcolm Gladwell talks in tipping, tipping point, right? There's a, there's a tipping point at some point. And, and you know, it, it won't be as weird anymore. Like those conversations will be a lot more accessible and a lot easier. So I think if you have a leader that you can have the conversation with and, um, you know, illustrate different companies that are doing it, there are plenty of examples out there. Uh, that's great. That's a good starting point. And if you don't, then just be, be the change, be the good, be the example, lead within your community, whether you're managing people or not, whether you're leading people or not, you will lead just by your example. Classic, classic new and classic advice to be the good. I happen to have written a book called Be the Good. Um, and that's great, a great way to segue into the next question, which is clearly you've learned a lot through just experience and you've learned a lot through relationships. Uh, is there a book or an author or a movie or a song that has helped you get to this level where you are being the good and manifesting change? Oh gosh, there's lots. There's many, many books. Um, I love books. I love podcasts. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite authors is Brene Brown. I think she's super authentic and, um, and really speaks to the impact of courage. And uh, so really, I, I like her a lot. Um, there, you know, as far as music goes, I think that anytime you can put together your favorite playlist and just dance, like just dance around the house, I feel like, I mean, I have two little kids. And so for a while, it was just Disney music that we were dancing around the house to, but and it's, it's shifted, thank goodness. It's kind of poppy right now. But nonetheless, like to just find some freedom in the crazy of it all to, um, to just do what makes you happy. You have laid down some amazing uh, pearls of wisdom, pieces of advice from learning to say yes or no from your heart and your, your gut to mm -hmm. slowing down to um, injecting joy into your life as you just talked about. Are there any other off the cuff or off the top of your head significant practices that are simple to implement for people in order for them to either experience good change in their life or create more good change in their life? Mm. Well, I think that the best thing you can do is, is create it first within yourself, right? Before you can share it 
outward. And I, you know, another practice that has been pivotal for me is when, you know, when I forget to turn on an awesome playlist or when I'm crazy in my head and can't find anything to be grateful for in the moment is to just go outside and stand on the earth. And I take my shoes off sometimes in the middle of winter, it's less comfortable, but especially in the summer, like to stand in the dirt, put my feet on the earth. And we live in Bend, which is such a beautiful place and it has so many rivers and lakes. I, I, I love being by the water. There's something very nourishing about water for me. Um, so I just try to go um, by water and by the earth. And this is a practice when I was talking about um, quieting the noise you know, do it without putting your headphones in and listening to that playlist. Like that, that playlist will be there, but, but just, just, just listen to, to the birds, to even to the sound of cards, to the air, to whatever it is, um, tends to clear out that space in between your ears. Yeah, the noise, the noise in my, the noise in my head, there's a scene yeah. in a movie. It's the movie is uh, the gods must be crazy. It's a classic. And in this movie, the, the movie starts with everybody at this break room or lunchroom in a large manufacturing company in South Africa. And all of these people are gathered around their different tables and this very disheveled looking person comes walking up to sit at a table with very normal looking, quote unquote, normal looking employees. And um, she, uh, the, you can see from the faces in the movie that the employees are completely uncomfortable with the idea of it's a woman, of this woman sitting next to them for lunch but they kind of scoot over, reluctantly scoot over. <laughs> and she sits down, she sits down next to him and she takes a bite. I think she takes a bite of food and she kind of looks to her left and looks to her right and looks across the table. And she says, does the noise in my head bother you? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> that is classic. I love it. I might actually use that. <laughs> so what you're saying is, find ways to quiet the noise. Quiet the noise. Cause I think that, oh, it's tricky to, it's tricky to make a huge impact when it's so loud. It's not impossible. Um, it's just more powerful when it's, when you start from a place of centered, quiet, grounded um, ness. And believe me, I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> shoot, I, I feel like I need to go outside and put my feet in the earth, you know, multiple times a day. Like it's, it, it is loud in here. Um, and practicing the things that I do to just quiet that for a moment so that I'm really clear on the decisions that I'm making. And like your gratitude and intention practice, this is not something where you need to invest two or three hours or a day yeah. or half a day at five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, like all of these practices combined, I mean, is, I mean, it's definitely not an hour, you know, it's a few, it's a few minutes. Yeah. So sometimes those long hikes are nice. On yeah, right on, right on. <laughs> Michelle, you are a mentor, a role model, um, a beautiful, beautiful soul. You have made a significant impact in your community. You've made a significant impact in the country and across the world by sharing a product that is making people better, making people feel better. Mm -hmm. Is there any other things you'd like to add as we wrap this up? Anything that you would like to share with our viewers and listeners in terms of, of your hope for them? Actually, let me ask this question. This is a loaded question. 
what do you hope for more than anything else for people? Oh, I just hope for, I just hope for people's hearts to be happy. At the end of the day, I just want people's hearts to be free. Mm. That's a better word. I want people's hearts to be free. And they are like, we all come into this world with just this free, free hearts. And, and then we get to, <laughs> then we get to experience what it's like to have our ego and, you know, all the awesome things that it does and all of the, you know, I, um, I, I, this is really interesting. I was talking with um, a friend and a mentor of mine actually recently. We were talking about the shift in um, ego versus soul and which is really driving the bus. And so, so everybody's on the same bus, ego's on the bus, soul's on the bus. Ego's awesome, right? Like it gets a lot of stuff done during the day. It's, it gets all the credentials. It gets all the, you know, the accolades. It gets all the, like, it gets stuff done. It's really awesome. Just really cool things. I mean, I couldn't have gotten to where we got with our company without like the ego driving it in part, you know, it's a good driver, a solid driver. <laughs> However, there's a shadow side to that. And that, you know, it tends to kind of hang on to that steering wheel and not want anybody else to, to, you know, to be a part of it. Whereas the soul you know, the soul is this part of you. This is, when I say I want everybody's hearts to be free, that's the soul. Like I want the soul to shine. I want the soul to be the driver of the bus. The ego is going to be on the bus and he's probably right in the seat right next to it. It's going to have to drive sometime, you know, but, but for the most part, if the soul is the one leading the charge, then I mean, that, I think there'd be a lot less drama in the world, you know, it just uh, a lot more kindness, a lot more compassion, a lot more um, ability to just see people for who they are and to wrap their arms around them and, um, you know, just, just be. Thank you very much. This has been an enlightening hour. This has been an empowering hour. This has been an insightful and trade wind like hour to come around full circle um, thank you i'm looking forward to future conversations and i wish you and your family and your business uh, and your community well thank you thank you for having me ken it's truly a beautiful way to spend this hour thank you thank you with every show we ask our guests to share a video of them doing something fun one of their favorite songs, a few lines from a book they enjoyed, or a scene from a great movie. Something that matches their hopes, dreams, and good work. And then we give this to you. Because laughter and beauty soothes, heals, and changes us. You can find and unwrap this gift on any of our social media sites. Thank you for participating in this podcast. Until next time, keep an eye out for change. Good change. And join our movement at KenStreeter.com.